Welcome to the Evoke EQ podcast, where we have emotionally intelligent conversations for evolving leaders. I am your host, Whitney Warren, a multi-passionate entrepreneur, EQ trainer, certified Enneagram facilitator, big stage speaker, and curious question asker. If self-growth, compassionate leadership, and changing the world are your idea of a good time, then you've come to the right place. Let's dig in. Hello, everyone. I am pleased to welcome today's guest, Michael Dermer. Michael is the author of the book and founder of the educational platform, The Lonely Entrepreneur. He founded The Lonely Entrepreneur after being in the trenches, building and selling his own revolutionary business that created an entire industry. If you receive incentives and rewards for taking an active role in your personal health, Michael is the guy to thank. After selling Incent One, he took a step back to decide how he could impact entrepreneurs, especially those who are walking the journey with fewer resources than he had access to. From this thinking, the lonely entrepreneur was born. Michael joins us today to talk about the lonely entrepreneur, what it is, and how not to be one. So Michael, thank you for joining us today. It is my pleasure to host you and have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Likewise. Okay. So I actually want to start with a quote from your book that just, I hope this doesn't embarrass you, but I was like, oh, okay, he gets it. And as all of you know, on the podcast, I am an entrepreneur and Michael and I had the opportunity to talk actually in my mom's kitchen. And I knew, I didn't know you from Adam or Joe. Uh, And you immediately, my immediate experience was, yes, he's an entrepreneur. Yes, he gets it. Yes, this is someone I can talk at a deep level and learn from. So thank you for that immediate first impression. And here we go. I'm about to quote you. If you've never been an entrepreneur, here's what you might not understand. Being an entrepreneur is not a job. It is an identity. Entrepreneurism is like oxygen. It's not optional. Once you have an idea, you need it to breathe. Once you have that vision, it's a drug that sees through your blood every day. We say things to ourselves like, what was I doing with my life before I came across this? It may seem melodramatic but not to those with a vision. There's nothing like it. Once you've experienced it, there's no going back. And that's page two. And that's when I decided I'd read your whole book. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that, you know, for people that haven't been there before, it's hard to understand what that is like, right? And, you know, you like it to the birth of a child or the winning of a championship or things like that. I think that, you know, once you've had that aha moment, which I've been fortunate enough to have two of, which is a blessing, it really does become, I mean, passion almost does it, doesn't do it justice, right? Somebody could say, the joke we always used to tell is, you know, someone would say, so do you prefer Mike or Michael? And I would give him a half hour on my business model, right? <laughs> like just, it's it's there, right? And it lives it and breathes it. And I think what what really got in tune for me was that there's so many parts of our lives that that we wish were more things that we got lost in. Right. And we have jobs and we have families and we have lives and we have pressures and things like that. Um, And one of the things that when people do have that idea, it does become like oxygen because it almost brings us back to our sense of wonder. Mm -hmm. And what would be better than to have, you know, 20 or four hours a day of wonder? Obviously, it's not. And and what's possible, like when you have that idea and you have the confidence that I think I'm the person to bring this to market. Yeah. And there's that, there's that, that's the newborn phase, right? You're like, oh, my baby is so. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. If you've ever like sort of people that are grew up in Iowa and go to an Iowa football game and lose their minds, adults mm-hmm. lose their minds on a Saturday afternoon against yeah. Ohio State, right? 
it's that feeling, right? It's that feeling of being totally lost in the experience that you have, right? That ultimately does become like a drug to you. Now, you have to be careful. And we're going to talk a lot about what you have to do when you do have that drug, because it can have some cause some problems. Um, yep. But if you're able to marry that, that passion and that energy with also turning it into a business that that is viable and you can grow it, there's a, there's, there's few better feelings. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. And what, what I heard, you get lost in it. So let's talk a little bit about the getting lost in the passion. What did that look like for you? And perhaps paint the narrative of lost to found if you, if you felt that or how you felt that. And I actually know you felt that because, you know, your book describes some of that, but tell us a little bit about what that is. Yeah. You know, I'll, you know, as you shared a little bit, Whitney, the, the, you know, we, I left a pretty prestigious law firm to start the first company in the U S to reward people for being healthy, brand new concept in healthcare. People were like, we're never going to do this. We're never going to pay people to do the things they should be doing. Fought the fight. And then from 06 to 08, grew like crazy, grew from, you know, 20 employees to 700. We're on top of the world. And then, as you know, almost got destroyed overnight by the financial crisis. If you watched what happened with Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, you know, a couple of weeks ago, that's what happened to all of our clients. So we went from having, you know, tons and tons and tons of exactly what a small software company wants which is all these big corporate clients to basically all of them going bankrupt. And when you're in the midst of all that, not just the, and you know, as you mentioned, we were fortunate enough to stabilize it and grow it and sell it and it worked out great. But when you're in the midst of all that, you really get lost in it. And I'll, I'll tell you two very quick stories, neither of which I'm proud of. One, during the middle of all that, I drove up to a convenience store in New Jersey where our office was. I put the nozzle in my tank in my car and I walked inside to grab a coffee or a soda or something. And I walked back out and I drove away with the nozzle in my car and basically pulled down half the gas station. And oh, so not just not just the hose. You took not the just whole the hose. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. And of course, the first thing I did was like, whatever, I got to get out of here. Like, I wasn't even like that apologetic or like, oh, my God. And the other was. When we were about 25 employees, I hired a woman. She was probably in her late 20s. She was going to go on a sales call with me as CEO. I'm late. I'm driving too fast. Bluetooth was just really coming about. I'm dating myself a little bit. And <laughs> and I'm going like crazy. And we're like a mile away and we're late in New Jersey. And she and it's her first day. She's dressed really nice, whatever. And she's with the CEO. And she goes, can you pull over? And I was like, I can't. We're late. Like She's like, pull over. She pulls over, opens the door and just pukes out the car. Now that should be the worst part of the story, right? Mm -hmm. So she gets back in the car. We drive over to, it was ADP. We drive over to ADP. She goes to the bathroom to kind of clean up and collect herself. And at this point, what I should be saying to myself is, oh my God, I'm an idiot. I can't believe I didn't, I did that. I didn't take more time, you know, dot, dot. And the only thing I can say to myself is I wonder if she's going to smell like puke in the meeting, right? Like we just get so in this like my results, my baby, like, how is my baby going to be affected by this other person? And like, and then, you know, the thoughts, the thoughts that we have that we're not proud of that are not for the people on our team, even, you know, and okay. So now you have perspective and you look back at that moment. And if you could have chosen differently in that moment, what would you have chosen? Well, the, the right answer is you would have left early you would have taken your time, you would have done all those things. And you would have been like what we say in the book, being a thoughtful, unemotional and deliberate leader. Mm-hmm. Tell me more about that. What does it mean to be a thoughtful, unemotional and deliberate leader? Well, in both of those circumstances, I'm being, I'm not being any one of those things. And what I said after we said that was, I wonder if I was ever one of those things, much less all three of those things. But but the whole thing is what we say in in the book, and it's really our philosophy, is that we're all under the influence of the four P's. Okay. 
right? Passion, pleasure, pressure, and pain. And those four Ps we might experience in the same hour, Mm, right? Not like it's a week of passion, like in the same hour. And so there's all these things coming at you, including the passion part, which goes, oh, no, no, I know there's a lot of cookies out there, but not my cookies, right? And so they make us have these- And how the, the passion can blind you to everything. Just flawed perspectives, right? Just these perspectives of that's the way to do it. And in a lot of ways- we did a disservice. We talked about this when we met. We did a disservice for entrepreneurs because we said, as long as you have passion, you're good. So just run into the wall as hard as the next guy or gal. So what you realized is that there are ways to organize this prep, this passion, right? Into fun things like a plan and a go-to-market strategy and all these unsexy things that allow you to be an unemotional, thoughtful, and deliberate leader. It's just that if we don't get taught those things, then we just drive away with the nozzle and our gas in our car. And we just think, well, you don't understand because you're an entrepreneur. No, it's still an idiot thing to do. It's just that once we call ourselves entrepreneurs, it's like, it's like, have you ever seen The Purge? Like no. you get to trade. It's, it's, it's basically a show where for one day, no crime is illegal. Oh, oh, oh. So there's The oh. Purge. That's what we're like as entrepreneurs. We're yeah. like, no, no, I know the rest of you have rules. And the rest of you have like plans and strategies. But once you call yourself an entrepreneur, you're allowed to be like a complete business moron, right? And run around to yourself. So you just gain that perspective over time a little bit. There's that rebellion. There's a natural like rebellious spirit, I think, that happens to be an entrepreneur. You have to be willing to go against the grain. You have to be willing to take some of the bullets that that your team won't. I mean, responsibility. When I say this to my team all the time, listen, we, we're going to make mistakes here. And at the end of the day, it's my mistake, whatever it is. Yep. And that's what I'm here for. I'm here to take that. But in order to have that mindset, you also, you're born a bit of a rebel if you're taking this. And I think there's one P that you're talking about, you know, the word that I keep hearing is where's the pause. Yeah. And like, that's what you're talking, you know, in the gas nozzle situation in the, in yep. the driving too fast, you know, a lot of times entrepreneurs are moving so fast and we are, we're conditioned that way. We're generally high achievers. We've generally had success before we've done this. We generally are used to getting our way because we, we just keep going. We keep pushing. That's part of what makes us who we are. It's in our DNA. But I don't know about you, but I was not taught to pause. I was not taught to slow down. I was not taught to like even necessarily prepare for my pursuits. I just, I was like, okay, Let's just, I'm going to fail while I, while I run forward. There's no pausing in my life. And that's been a piece that I've really gotten to harness, but it takes, it takes so much will, like strength of will to pause, breathe, prepare that plan. So I don't know, does that, as you move in through and talk about pressure, passion, pleasure, pain, where does pausing come in and all of that? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I came from the opposite of pause. So I was a college athlete and a New York mergers and acquisitions lawyer. So if you walked into someone's office and, and, and they said, you have to be in Paris in three hours, and you said, but wait a minute, the flight's six hours, they'd be like, figure it out, right? There was no pause, right? It was just, and so I came from that world. So what you realize is that it's not pause for pause sake. It's, it's that when you take a step back from the, from the passion, it's, do I have a plan? Do I have a winning strategy? How do I operationalize that strategy? Mm-hmm. And if you do enough of that foundational stuff, the pauses are built in. They're built into the goals you set, the process you have. And unfortunately, we basically just said to people, you know what? If you want to go perform heart surgery, 
knock yourself out. I know some people will die, but have fun. That's what we say to entrepreneurs. We're like, go out into the wild, right? And 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 we really did them a disservice. We didn't say, right? Like, think about moms out there. The day after you had your first child, like, did you wake up and go, I'm great at this mom thing? No, you're probably like, oh my God, I might kill this little person. And then you learn and you grow and you get skills and you listen to friends and things like that. And unfortunately with entrepreneurship, we just never said that, Whitney. We just said, go. And so what you realize is that if you're able to have a vision, which you have to have of doing something different, then you got to say, how do I operationalize that into a real thing, right? Because if you if you said at IBM, if you said, we're going to chase everything, they'd throw you out of the building. We don't have time for that. We're, we, we have a focus. We have a mission. We have a goal. Right. Like- exactly. All that all that boring stuff. I think the other thing too, to your point about, you know, pause is the you were stating it before, it's the balance between ego and humility. You have to have a healthy dose of ego to do something different. Mm-hmm. Whitney, what you're doing, what I did with the healthcare industry, where they're like, they're, we're never going to do this. Not, we haven't heard of this before. We are never going to pay people to be healthy. So you have to have a healthy dose of ego to see through that when frankly, it's really easy for everybody around you, investors, employees, family members to go, it's not going to work. So what was the mark? If I said to you, I have this idea, we're going to get in strangers' cars and we're going to pay them to take us somewhere. You're like, heck no. Why would I do that? That's that's called a crime spree. That's not I can barely like, you know, tolerate driving with anybody, like my partner. I'm like, you drive too slow. Let let me take the wheel. Like, So the market for Uber before Uber was zero, right? So you have to have a healthy ego. But what that needs to go with, and I didn't have this and I learned this over time, is the humility to understand that this is a lot of different skills that you have to learn to be a successful entrepreneur. And you really have to embrace that, embrace that journey. And some of those skills are so you don't make mistakes. It's not like I've never really liked the fail fast, right? If they went, if you went into a marriage and said, you know what, let's get married, but let's fail fast. Let's You'd be like, so I think that, I think that the <laughs> more, like, not actually. right. <laughs> You're like, I'm a heart surgeon. Let's just fail fast. Like you, you, it's this, this humility of embracing the fact that you have to learn and get better at it in order to ultimately get what you want, which is your bring to your vision to life. When I say you get better at, you know, when we get better at it, you know, what we're talking about here on the podcast is about getting better at you so you can get better at it. Yeah. And so I think, and that's one of the things we connected on in that kitchen conversation was, okay, how am I being in the business? Am I being thoughtful, dedicated and unemotional? And, and the unemotional is the interesting one to me. I get thoughtful and I get dedicated, but from my experience, and I'm curious to see your stance on this, you know, my experience is I have emotions coursing through me at all times, whether I choose to acknowledge them or not, whether I choose to acknowledge that they're influencing my decision or not. And I my personal particular setup is to pretend like I don't have any feelings. Mm-hmm. I'm okay. And I'll just move forward. And I have a feeling based on your book, you might have a similar uh, setup, like everything's yep. fine. You know, it might not be fine. It could be on fire, but I got it. And my yep. personal feelings are not going to interfere with that. And that's a particular ego strategy to protect myself from my feelings. Yep. But what I had to figure out and what I'm still a student of is what are those feelings? How are they influencing and how do I use them as information, but not as controlling factors? Yep. And that's part of the EQ journey. So I'm curious, how, how have you shifted in that? Because it seems like you got a wide, wide array of experience in how to utilize your emotions, either for better or letting them utilize you. Yeah, I think that anybody that says that emotion doesn't add to the success of an operation or an entity is, is just wrong. Um, if you think that, that 
Jamie Dimon or Jeff Bezos or, you know, anybody else is running around and just saying, no, just get me those reports at five. That's not the case. There is always emotion and intensity that comes into it. What you have to realize is that the more that you are setting up the foundational structures of success, the less emotional that you are. So I'll give you an example. You go over to somebody at the proverbial proverbial coffee room and you say, let's make sure we sell 10 bananas next week. And they go, got it, boss. I'm going to go sell 10 bananas. And then a month later, right, you run into at the coffee room again and and you're like, how'd we do on the 10 bananas? And they're like, oh, I forgot about it. And you literally want to kill them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's where emotion, as opposed to every Tuesday at 10 a.m., we're going to have the 10 bananas meeting. And the first Tuesday, maybe it was a little off and the next Tuesday, it got a little better. So when you set up the structures to operationalize your strategy and your vision, that's when the emotion becomes a part of the proper goals that you set, the regular training that you do, right? But when it's left to its own devices, right? And you expect everybody to just figure it out the way you figure out, which is by definition, not going to happen. But the other thing I would say, Whitney, is that anybody that that thinks that the proper level of intensity and sense of urgency isn't an important part of being successful, especially in this day and age, is kidding themselves, mm-hmm. right? You absolutely have to bring the people that are the most successful at things, bring an intensity to it, right? Now, it's in the intensity within the right framework, but it's the ability to you know, have a standard that you want met, right? Have an unwavering set of your values, right? An intense commitment to uh, to success or the goals you're trying to hit, whether they be for your own or the constituents you serve. But anybody in this day and age that isn't doing that with a level of intensity significantly decreases their chance of success. So emotion has to play has to play a role. I, when you were saying that, I was we recently revisited our core values for one of our teams. And for my photography business, Ivory House Photography, our top core value is excellence. Now this is a top core value of mine, but when I think about intensity, Excellence is an intense, yep. it's an intense goal. And when I laid these out, you know, I've been working with my team. So one of my members has been with me almost since the beginning, but we've been together a long time at this point. We know each other in and out professionally and personally. And my longest standing team member was like, was quiet. It's just like, I didn't, didn't like it. Didn't, you know, and then said, well, tell me more, tell me more about why what you hear in excellence. And what she was hearing was perfection. And so I, I really delineated, okay, perfection is not what we're going. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to have, we're going to have things that arise. These are places that we get to dig in and find solutions and optimize and systematize. Yep. That's what I see. A mistake serves us in the fact that this means that there's not a system or yep. then we have to know, did the system fail us or was this a, a miss on our part as the human? Yep. But excellence is about that intensity of experience that I want to create. And I'm, no matter what, I'm passionate about that at the beginning. And that's how we're showing up. And so when I think about intensity, it's like, what are you going to be excellent at? What are you going, what are you going to put your whole be you as the entrepreneur? What are you going to put your whole being on the line to create? And that transcends product or service in my experience. And also, you know, your people that you want around you, right? You know, there's a chapter in the book that you'll get to that calls, that's called everyone sucks. And Mm, I went through the titles. Tell me more about that section. uh, Just nobody, nobody cares about as much as you do, right? And you think that that's their flaw as opposed to it basically being, you know, your own lack of understanding of what needs to happen, right? For everybody else to be, it's easy to get you to be driven to do what you need to do. The real, the real deal is, can you get other people to do it in a, in a genuine way? Oh, 
that's something. And so in your experience, you know, you're the owner, you're the driver, you're the inspirer. But so many times we walk into these, these management and leadership roles and we're used to being the performer. I don't know about you, but I was, I was used to being the performer, not necessarily the manager. Yep. And so managing to me has required immense flexibility and an understanding of what that person needs, which is vastly different than what I need in order to perform and be aligned. So how did you start to modulate yourself, listen, or what was that experience for you as you really deeply entrenched yourself in being with your people? Yeah, so it was there was a good and a bad to it. The good was I was the captain of every team I've ever been on and played a lot of sports. So that had elements to it, but that's still, I mean, that's not running a business. The bad of it was I was a college athlete and an M&A lawyer where you're just like, everybody go run. Like if you went into somebody's office when you were like a second year associate and said, I don't really think that's the right approach. They wouldn't ask you to leave. The floor would just open up and you would drop into it. Like, <laughs> like so I was, I had been a, a captain of things, but, but I had never really had the perspective. And remember when you play sports, there's a lot of intensity to it. So that's also a very natural thing. What I, what really appealed to me was the notion that if you're going to be good at the CEO thing, you have to learn and grow. You have to get better at it. And it's a different set of skills at different stages in the beginning where you're painting the vision, right? And you're the, the main customer officer and, and all those types of things. You're usually the main product or service designer. If you want to be good at being a CEO, you have to transition to a process creator and a communicator and all this stuff. So that appealed to me, Whitney, as the challenge of if the organization is going to be successful, how do I need to grow and evolve to lead others, which included process stuff and goal stuff and performance, you know, these unsexy things. But at the same time, you know, with a very unwavering standard from the way I'd always been taught, which is that absolutely we want people to feel energized and ignited, but your job is also to push. Um, but how do you push in really clear structures of performance management that ultimately people know exactly what's expected of them and how they can get excited about it because it's not the CEO running around the office screaming and yelling all day long? Well, and then I think there's an aspect there that I heard of there's structures, there's elements, but knowing, okay, we're going here together and we're going to learn and we're going to grow together. And that is the culture that we have. We have a yeah. culture of evolution, we have a culture of growth. And not every company, has that or values that or even thinks about that. And I know that because I get the pleasure of supporting some of these companies yep. in developing that. But when I watch a team leader value growth, you know, first you have to have a baseline, like, can they do, can they do the job, but then can they grow as a person to continue to add value to themselves and the job and the company? Because when yep. you get something like that, that's in it at that level and you foster them at that level, the loyalty is worth every conversation I've ever had with that person. Yeah. And, and I'll, what, go ahead. the analogy I'll give you will be offensive to somebody that's <laughs> does emotional intelligence for a living, but here's the way I think of it very simplistically on a scale of one to 10. If you have a seven, you can turn them into an eight or a nine. If you have a five, it's almost impossible to turn them into a seven. I'm aligned with that, but tell me more about what's behind that? Well, you know, there's a lot that goes into what's a seven attitude, aptitude, but you know, we've all had fives. Your listeners should think back to their organizations, right? Whether it's their business or the bake sale or the PTA and go, well, he doesn't do that. And I have to always convince him to do this. And because remember in an early stage enterprise, there's always gaps. Like we always, everyone's gotten that person on our team goes, but we don't have this, this, and this. You're like, of course we don't have this and this. We're an eight person, right? Yeah. So you have to just, in my opinion, really, really invest in the sevens 
mm-hmm. right? And immediately get rid of the fives. Not after six months, but but after the second comma, you're just like, that's off because you will spend so much time doing it. That being said, when you do find those people, and remember, Whitney, we had been through an incredibly traumatic, in, in a business sense, event where all these companies that we had, you know, worked so, so hard to get, we're going bankrupt as clients. After we had come out the other end of that, we were growing in and things were much happier and and we were moving in the right direction. I really want, I really said to myself, okay, like, how do I get people to perform? These people have been through a lot. We've done this all together. I mean, literally to the point, Whitney, we were splitting jobs so we didn't have to fire anybody, right? Like doing all, we're like, listen, we got to reduce our expenses from X to Y. How do we split this up so we all can stay? So Lots of, as we said, when we were together, lots of bourbon along the way. Um, <laughs> and what we said was, okay, let's ask everybody in the company, it's probably 400 people at that point, what they want. And you're like, what do you mean? Like, we're going to ask them what they want. So it was me, my assistant, and the employee. And we're like, what do you want? Now, when the CEO says that to you, the first thing you say is something business. I want to be better at the product. I want to learn more marketing. I'm like, no, no, no. We don't want to know what you want for the business. We want to know what we want for you. And after looking around and seeing if there were hidden cameras or something, we get started to get answers. I want my mom to quit smoking. I want to learn to become an opera singer. I want so we started to take all the money that we spent on all this kind of hokey stuff and getting somebody cooking lessons and getting somebody's mom to quit smoking. And it was unbelievable what it did to performance, not just what it did to our relationships, but it would do because then the people are like, I'm staying late, I'm learning more because this company actually cares about, about what's important to me not just how important to the company. When I teach this from the perspective, I mean, first of all, beautiful. And like, it's a strategy, but it's the most humane strategy we have. What do you want? And how can I serve you in getting there? And if you're a partner in that, because then what I hear is they start to see, they're not just an employee, they're a partner. You're a partner in their life, they're a partner in your life. And this is a lesson I learned we like to learn them the hard way, I think, as entrepreneurs, because then it sticks, it, you know, it hits you on the forehead and you're like, that's a scar. Uh, but I learned this the hard way over the past four months as I went through some huge financial dip down and, 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 and I was prepared for that on some level and unprepared for that in others. Yeah. And when I finally had the guts to tell the two key people in my, in my company what they needed to know, and it took, it took all the courage I had. Because, you know, at that point, I, I feel like maybe I'm admitting to being a failure. I'm admitting to being irresponsible. I'm admitting to like, we might have to, we might have to renegotiate how we exist together. Yep. And in that moment, they were like, we've got you. We've got you. We're going to do everything in our power to make sure that like nothing has to change here. Tell yep. us where we are. And I know that I got that response that, you know, I'm, I'm sobbing on the phone with these people that I talk to every day, but I'm usually not crying. Yep. <laughs> And that was that moment that I knew that we were partners. Yes, I'm the CEO. Yes, I'm the owner of the business. But the way that I've invested in them has allowed them when I need to be vulnerable, when I have a moment, and they're there with me. And that feeling, that's an in, I I really don't want to put myself in that position again or find myself in that position again, but I'm sure it will happen. I plan to be an entrepreneur for the rest of my life. So here we go. But that lesson of if I have my people in a core, real, fundamental way, they will have me. Yeah, worth it. And and people that have been successful in business after business after business, especially venture back and big, they get their group and they go right. And it's very hard to find that group. And a lot of times along the way, you know, Whitney, people have to 
earn the right as well. Because, you know, especially in this day and age where, you know, employees have a particular perspective, at least, you know, my view is that you have to set the standard you want for your company to achieve whatever you want to achieve. And it could be big, it could be small, it could be nonprofit work, it could be change the world, it could be go to the moon, whatever it is. And you can never waver from that standard. And so while there's a responsibility to get people to come along with you by what you give to them, there's also responsibility from them to earn that right. Uh, I remember we had the fortune of consulting with a CEO of a pretty big company, a company's name you would know. And she said, and she was pretty hardcore. Um, and she said, you know, I, I welcome the feedback from any employee that wants to come see me. And I was like, nope, you shouldn't. You're CEO. You have things to do. If, if an employee wants to come to you with a real issue, they should come to you with an issue and a solution and a why. So there's a shared responsibility to earning that mutual trust. And one of the hard things along the way, Whitney, is a lot of this isn't formed, right? Like when you go to a car dealership, you know it has four tires and a steering wheel and you know what the car is. And when you go along in your entrepreneurial journey and, an, and a staff member acts weird, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's your job to try to make all that fit together. And that's why setting the standard of what you expect and what you want, you can never waver on, even if in the short term, you know, it's harder. And we've all made those mistakes. Uh, but once you kind of waver from those things, it's a little bit of a race to the bottom. Well, once you, I think what I heard you say is once you, once you compromise your integrity around what you're really moving towards and how you do it yeah. to get there, that's, that's the, the pinprick in the, the, you know, balloon with water in it that you're yep. just sinking. And and that's one of the biggest things that I think entrepreneurs consulted recently for a small business, but growing very fast in healthcare. And you know, after my first talk with them, I was like, there's, there are quite a few employees on your team that got you here that are not going to get you there. Yep. And, and are you prepared? Because part of me being with you is I'm going to continue to talk about how to gracefully exit, rearrange, or support you in structuring this in a way that these people are on your team because right now you're putting in a lot of effort for the fives. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, I had the conversation. I didn't love, I'm going to take that forward, the fives and the sevens, because what I, what I was trying to say to her in this space was that the fives, they have stuff that they're not ready to be in the business you're building. And yeah. that's okay. We don't have, they're not in the business of saving everybody. They can be successful elsewhere. That's their choice. But when you have someone eager who's actively taking on more responsibilities, maybe makes a few mistakes here and there, but is making them with good intentions, with character, integrity, that's someone we can work with. That's someone to invest in. The way I always try to think of it is that imagine that you had to report to the board of directors or had to report to investors and you walked in the room and they said, Whitney, so why didn't you sell 10 bananas? And you said, well, because Joe was showing up at 9.15 instead of 9.10. And Susie just didn't, she really wasn't comfortable talk. They would fire you. Oh, heck yes. Not them. So, and, and they again, should be fired for allowing the lack of responsibility. Right. That's a reflection of my level right. of responsibility. And that's, and this is the hard part when you is that, and I don't think I even realized this until after we went into Lonely Entrepreneur. And that is entrepreneurship implicates so much of your being, yeah, personal, more. financial, emotional relationships, of course, the skills, a lot of the skills we're talking about, hard and soft ones, you throw all of that into a soup, right? And you got to try to figure it out along the way when you're doing something that's completely new. So the great, the great thing about selling toothbrushes is that if I came to you and said, Whitney, I've got this toothbrush, you know what a toothbrush is. Right. You pretty you know what you're not like, I don't know what to do with it. Now, you may say there's lots of toothbrushes, so I don't know why I should buy yours. Mm -hmm. 
the, the good thing about selling something completely new is it's new. Hey, we're going to reward people for doing the healthy things they should be doing. They're like, what? We're not doing that. So, but you're the only game in town. And, and as we like to say, you'll see it in the book, you found a playground where nobody else is playing. The problem is you have to now educate them on that, on that playground. Invite everyone to play with you. Right. And, that's and so with all that stuff going on, all that flux and all the different issues you're you're doing it in a completely uncrafted environment, right? That is legitimately a lot. And that's why I think we really did do a disservice to people and saying, listen, to be an entrepreneur, you have to have 500 skills. Go when you're 15, like start to develop these and get them as opposed to go perform heart surgery, go to the morgue afterwards, figure out how you killed them. And then we'll learn a couple of things along the way. So it's, it's a lot. Evoke, to bring forward, recall, or uncover. Emotional quotient, otherwise known as EQ or emotional intelligence, is the ability to consistently understand and manage your emotions. This is the skill set behind effective communication, conflict resolution, compassion, resilience, and personal power. At Evoke EQ, we train evolving leaders on how to expand their impact by transforming internal resistance into abundant energy for your career, your teammates, and your organization. Join us on this expansive journey as we work to make the Midwest an emotionally intelligent place to work and live. So tell me, so we've got the book, The Lonely Entrepreneur, and we've got the platform. It's a resource. How did we get to the book and how do we get to the platform? What's in it? Just give us, tell us, because I, I poked around on the platform. I and there's a lot, there is a lot in there. And I look at it and I was just like, oh, this, I, I really wish I would have known, or I don't know if it existed in 2016. I'm not sure when the origination was, but just super highly valuable. So how did we get to this platform yeah. in this space? Incredibly beautiful and organic uh, journey. So after I sold the company, literally what it was just taking a deep breath, you know, it was basically build it, save it, sell it. I was, I was literally deep breath in New York relaxing. The only thing I was doing was helping friends who were starting businesses for fun, like have coffee, like whatever. And one of them said to me, being an entrepreneur is really lonely. And I was like, hmm. and you know, we had just gone through this whole crazy experience, but you know, it didn't really resonate. Like it was like, oh, that's interesting, but I forgot about it. About two weeks later, I was walking down the street in New York with a friend of mine and I said, lonely entrepreneur. And he was like, what did you say? And I said, lonely entrepreneur. He goes, what is that? I'm like, what do you mean? It's nothing. It's a phrase. He goes, are you kidding me? Because I've never heard that. He goes, he says, that says it all. And I was like, eh. And he goes into a Starbucks and he goes, watch this. And I'm like, what is he going to do? This is like Whitney, 2015. And he screams, who here is a lonely entrepreneur? And literally everybody in Starbucks put their hand up. And I was like. Because that's where we entrepreneurs hang out. Back in the day, right? Coffee. <laughs> back then, right? That was where you went. And then it really hit me, Whitney, because just like rewarding people for being healthy, I'm only into bigger things, right? So this was like, well, wait a minute, you have all these people that have passion and great ideas, but it's not translating into success. Wow, if you could wake up and do anything, which I was fortunate enough I could, that would be a pretty cool thing to implicate, but I have an impact on. But I was like, but how do you do that? I did not have any desire to stand up for the 20 people and say, this is how you start a business. To me, there's one of the conversations that were happening across the dinner tables of a world, the world. There's somebody in Des Moines right now that's about to max out their credit card, right? And I was like, and I started to look around and I was like, well, wait a minute, there's like a small business development center and a this. And I was like, why isn't there a platform? 
Like, why isn't there one place to go that has, and it just didn't exist. People were running all over the place, Googling things and talking to people with the same last name. I was like, wow, if you could build a platform that had basically everything in it, knowledge and tools and coaching and place to get your, like, you could help everybody. And that became really interested, interesting to me. The book came about, I didn't want to write a book at all. And somebody said to me, you know, it'd be great to launch the Lonely Entrepreneur brand. And I was like, yeah. And somebody sat me down and said, listen, there's lots of stories of people creating new businesses and struggling, creating new, new industries and struggling. Because let me describe a story to you. Leave a really prestigious law job, create an industry, build it up to 800 employees, watch it almost get destroyed, build it back up and sell it and consider to be, I was like, she's like, there are no stories like that. She's like, you have to do it. And I was like, I don't want to do it. And I literally went to a dog park and I said, I will write for a week. And if I like it, I'll do it. And it was one of the easiest things I've ever done. It was just, you know, when you're, when you've gone through those crazy, ridiculous things, writing about them later is just funny and cathartic. Well, so that was Gain some humility, then yes, it's funny and cathartic. <laughs> yeah, later. And so the platform was just super exciting to us because now the ability to put it in the hands of people, there's somebody in Seattle right now that we can put the platform in the hands and they get all this great stuff about it. So the ability to just have touch a lot of people along this journey we've been talking about. Well, and I think it, it shocks me that there was resistance to writing the book because of how the book is written and how engaging and how quickly, you know, I'm so I'm a, a daily reader. I'm I'm an obsessive reader but I'm a reader that will very quickly set something aside if it doesn't resonate with yeah. me. And as a fellow entrepreneur, I was like, okay, he's got about 10 pages to make me, to make me listen. Yeah. And I had a vested interest because I'd already met you. I was like, the guy still has to prove it. And even just reading your chapter titles, I was like, okay, like we'll be fine because you, you describe in such vivid detail and so candidly what was hard, what was beautiful, your shortcomings in that experience, which I think a lot of people try to run from what didn't work about me and what had to change. And that's really a lot of the story is what did I need? How did I need to shift in order to make sure that the people around me were on the boat and the boat kept going? Yeah. And also, I think, Whitney, in, in the it's hard to understand unless I go back to that moment, just what 2008 was like. I mean, we had built something from nothing. We were considered the leader of the industry. We were just about to break through. We were trying to decide if we were going to take big private equity money in 2017. We got offered an obscene amount of money to sell the business. And we're like, why would we sell it now? It's a SaaS license business and it's hockey sticking. And then a year later, it's probably worth nothing. You know, we all of our big clients were literally on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. You know, General Motors is our biggest client. They needed a government break, bailout. So to go through that and to have to get a group of people to perform under great uncertainty and to come out of that. You just, it was like, we call it dog years. It was like nine years of learning for every year that we went through because it was just, there was, you made decisions at that time, which should have taken six months and six hours. And you just had to, as I like to say, not to be too vivid, you get kicked between the legs about 20 times a day. You just stop noticing. Well, which, and I think that's good and bad. <laughs> okay, well, it builds your resilience, whether we like it or not. We're like, but I think that there's something in that, that when you go through a period of, and, you know, reading that in the book, I was feeling every moment of that. I'm like, this dude is not catching a break. Like, this is not, you know, and of course you created your own breaks. You created your own opportunities through shifting perspective. But I think there's something in that desensitization, I can't say that word, desensitization. Sure. Let's yeah. go there. Um, that works for us, but I think in times it doesn't work as well because we yeah. have to we have to build this shell. It's what gets yeah. us through. 
But then there's this moment where I'm like, okay, I need to walk out of this room where I'm the boss and everything's on me. And I need to walk in and be like a partner to the guy I love. And that's a totally different skill set. Yeah. Or, you know, be a bonus parent or, you know, be a great dog mom. And I think about all the roles we play. And the one as an entrepreneur, if we're not careful and conscientious, can yeah. really, in my experience, separate us from the connections that we really want to have outside of the business. Do you have any thoughts on that? Or Yeah, no, no doubt. You know, that's like the quote that you read, being an entrepreneur is not a job, it's an identity. And it's hard for other people to understand that. Even, even spouses and family members and friends, right? It's like we always say, if somebody asks you, if you're working on Columbus Day, they're not an entrepreneur, right? And uh, we're talking about like Christmas and August. Right. I cannot because of course my my period of of toughness was basically December through this current tax iteration, yeah. and I was a disaster for the two week Christmas break this year. I was upset. I was angry. I had just launched a conference for the very first time, so you know, unsure product, don't know how it's no. going to react. Three days before Christmas, you know, it was December fifteenth. We launched signups, yeah. got like a slew of signups, and then for two weeks, I'm kidding you not, Michael, nothing. No. Nothing moved. And I am just, you know, biting my nails and like basically catatonic on the couch yeah. Christmas. Like I have launched a failure and everybody's going to know. Yeah. And, and during those times, nobody does anything. Right. And you as an entrepreneur, you're like, it's like Christmas in August. Right. You're like the rest of the world just shuts down and you and need like, things to move. And, yeah. Like I need things to be currently constantly moving. And so that's right. one of I've had to work on. And I got to watch myself because I'm in a practice of now I'm in a practice of watching myself and I was like you're not going to do anything you're not going to work harder you're not going to like I had to subdue my natural tendencies to overwork because I'm like you're spinning your wheels this is a time of patience no one will respond to your inquiry emails right now leave it alone yeah. write them schedule them <laughs> well you just you get better at it right so what you start to do is you use your your Christmas time to do good planning, right? The planning you don't get to do, you use August to do, to make sure you're all buckled up for the fourth quarter and, and maybe even get ready for, you know, a lot of entrepreneurial companies don't really plan for the next year and they get into the fourth quarter. August is a great time to do that. So these are just skills that you learn along the way. But the first time everybody, right? It's like, I remember one year in August, we were doing some business in my healthcare business with France, with a company, with a French company. They're gone. Like if you looked on the map, France is not there. Like unless you're showing up <laughs> with August. wine or cheese, like we did at your mom's house, then then there is no, we're doing business with, and I'm picking on France, but there's a lot of countries that an individual is just shut down. So I think again, you know, Whitney, this is, it's a whole series of skills that you learn about yourself, right? About organizing and planning time, about using your energy and emotion in the right ways. Like there's just a lot that you you get better at it over time, like a lot of things, you develop not only skills, but you develop judgment, right? Mm -hmm. And I know there's a hell of a lot of judgment that goes into emotional intelligence, but there's also judgment <clears throat> in sensing, do I have to be strategic here? Do I have to be tactical here? Do I have to be hard here or easy here? Do I have like, and a lot of times when you're younger and less experienced, you treat it all the same, a lot like people that who aren't emotionally intelligent, right? They, it doesn't matter. So I think you just gain skills over time. And some are obviously more important than others. That is, you get better and better in them. They, they build on your capability as an entrepreneur. 
At Ivory House, we believe that every human deserves to have an incredible image of themselves. Widely recognized and recommended as Des Moines' leading portrait studio, we specialize in capturing all the best angles of camera-shy professionals. Our skilled photographers guide you through the entire process with careful posing and detailed direction, sharing their confident energy and years of experience along the way. Clients routinely leave the studio saying, wow, that was so easy. No one has ever made me feel that comfortable and confident in front of the camera. And best yet, when can I do this again? If you are camera shy and looking to change that negative narrative, then Ivory House is the place for you. We cannot wait to show you how good you can look and feel all while being photographed. bit about the platform itself and how you know most of my immediate community are entrepreneurs that's just yep. you know I think when you're an entrepreneur because very few people get the lifestyle most of my closest friends actually all of them <laughs> are in this bucket even my partner is also an entrepreneur so tell me about the platform tell me what you can expect just give me the whole thing because yep. I thought it was really impressive as I as I looked around and so there was a there was a fundamental gap, both here in the United States and other places, which is entrepreneurship and all of our circles, many of our circles, like you said, is so important to the world, but we're not going to give everybody a map and we're going to have them go figure it out on their own. And, and there wasn't one place that you could go that wasn't a magic pill, but organized a lot of what you needed in one place. And if you could go to any city in the United States, in fact, cities throughout the world, and it didn't exist, you could walk into a workspace or an incubator or a small business development center, but you still had to go. And so that was what the platform became a one-stop shop. And we said to ourselves, okay, to be successful, what do you need to have, right? Number one is we felt you needed what we call knowledge, right? What's an income statement? What do I do? I'm freaking out. So we built learning modules, now a thousand of them across the business and Whitney, the personal issues that people face, right? Like all the stuff that we're talking about. So, okay, I have one place to go where somebody says, I don't know what an offer letter is. I'm freaking out. Should I take friends and family money? Blah, 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 blah. That they're learning modules on all that stuff. So we we're like, okay. A lot of finance modules, a lot of legal modules. And yeah. these are things that like, if you don't have a resource like this, you are paying an accountant or you are paying yeah. a, a an attorney of some sort. And those bills are a lot more expensive, I can say from personal experience, than logging into this platform and reading easy answers. And I think also these days, Whitney, is when you go and you Google something, the first 10 things you're seeing are ads too. So even if you're trying to figure it out on your own, you don't all get the right. So so first was knowledge. How do we take all that stuff that you have to go all over the place? And secondly, was tools. These are just functional things, right? I need templates. I need legal agreements. I need to know how to pick an accounting package, right? So we put all that in one place and we just continue to add to it. So it's got basically every template and legal agreement. We have a whole team of people that keeps adding to that. But the third part, which we felt was equally important to the knowledge and the tools being in one place was ongoing support, right? Because the journey has all the things that you and I've been talking about. So the ongoing support is like, how do we help people day to day at scale? And that was two things, right? One is online group coaching. So people can sign up for an unlimited number of online group coaching sessions on whatever topic they're interested in. And then what we call our community, which is a place where people can go and get their questions answered by members of our team. We call them entrepreneur success managers that all they do all day long is sit in the platform and answer questions. So, I mean, what, and I have to say, I went and signed up and I mean, 
there's a $27 a month option. And I was like, oh my goodness. Yeah. What, I mean, the value of having group coaching, I mean, I was actually astounded by, you know, once I got in. So the price point happens before you get in. So I was like, okay. Yeah. And then I get in and I'm like, you're telling me that I can sign up for group coaching. I can look at these documents. I'm like, I'm set. And this price point is at one that like, is just, it's incredible truly. And I can see the mission behind that. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think that the, the whole premise of that entrepreneurs fit in these nice little buckets. Oh, or you're a startup and you're this, and you know, you've been through it. It doesn't work that way. You could be somebody who's startup, who's really, really good at finance, right? And you don't act startup-y with finance, but when it comes to marketing or employees or like you're a complete novice. So the whole idea was to build it broad enough that within each area like finance, there was like the basics, if that's what you needed, all the way up to the more sophisticated stuff. But in the middle was some of that connective tissue. Well, wait a minute, my income statement looks really good, but I don't have any cash. Yeah. And what's, what's the gap and how do I find it out? And I, you know, just the process of Googling, I every tax year, I learned something new. And wouldn't it be great if I learned it through the platform in advance instead yeah. of like coming to April and be like, that's fascinating. Yeah. And, uh, and listen, I think that the, the guidance mechanisms are really important because while the knowledge and the tools are, you know, hopefully really helpful, the ability to go to a human being, right. Or to go to a group with other people and say, oh, there's a session on there on hiring employees. Terrific. Let me go, go to that. And, you know, being able to ask a question whenever you want. And we have people in there during business hours that all they do is answer those questions. So there's no magic pill, but you take everybody kind of where they are. And frankly, Whitney, I think I might've shared this when we met, like this should have been built 20 years ago. Absolutely. And it's, it's shocking to me, you know, you know, acknowledging your history, but it's shocking to me that an independent person yeah. This instead of a government entity or, you know, somebody else. And I, I yeah, know SBA, right? yeah, yeah. Any one of those people would have been great, but it exists. And I think that's the most important part is that you took your experience and, and the loneliness of that. And, you know, a story that is likely to be unreplicated. So there are some experiences that you have that no one else gets to have and for better or for worse. And then saying, okay, I have a, I have a new mission now. Yeah. And my mission is that at least you're going to go through it. I mean, that's the thing that we can assure ourselves as entrepreneurs. You talked about the EKG and uh, one of my brands has a wave as the symbol because, and I read that and then I thought, and I was like, yeah, because the philosophy, we have a symbol, a wave, and then there's a line through it. This is my unapologetic yeah. extra brand. And what we talk about is that the line is stagnation. These are, this is when you are living in a space where you're not interested in growth or change baseline. And as an entrepreneur, we're always, we're going to go up, but we're going to go below baseline at times. That's just part of, part of the deal. And then we're going to go back up and down. And so we're going to, our lifeline, our journey is going to look different, but at the end of the day, we keep going up each time. And, and when I read that EKG thing, and when I, when I, thought about that. That is the experience. And what I see you creating is a space to meet people where they are, not make assumptions about where they are and just give support and guidance and, you know, holistic assurance that like, Hey, someone, someone out here has done this and is thinking about you along the way. And, and, you know, the, the day-to-day help that people need to do something that's incredibly complicated, don't get wrong, incredibly fulfilling and rewarding if you get there, but, but complicated on a day-to-day basis. Right. And so the ability to kind of take them and exactly like you said, where they are. Definitely be, listen, if you read anything about us, it's a safe space because you know we're, we're pretty raw out there in terms of the things that we did wrong, I did wrong, things we wish we had known and done better. 
you know, and listen, people identify with the feeling of being, I mean, a lot of ways we're all only on turn. Even the ones, you know, you talk, Whitney, about the ones that go like this, right? And up and down. If you knew the number of people that, you know, they when they were making one slice of pizza, they were like, I really wish I could make 800 slices of pizza so I could hire people and I could do X and I could do Y. And now they're like, I just want to make the munchkins. Like, I don't want to manage people. Like, And so at every stage of your journey, even when you're having success, right? There are different challenges along the way. Hopefully with money, you can hire more of the right people and do the right things. But then you go through the whole thing of who you trust and who you bring. Like at every single stage of your journey, even if it is not up and down, even if it is, you know, progressing in smooth sailing, you will face challenges that don't fit nicely into boxes. And so hopefully with the platform, you know, we're able to help people on that journey. Oh, that brings me, I think we can maybe close-ish with this quote. You teed me up. Uh, <laughs> it's on page 65. We work every day to make progress. When we make progress, we expose weaknesses. The questions that come with the evolution of a business are natural. The immaturity of your business gets exposed. While the business challenges that arise can be difficult, the greater challenge is what this dynamic does to our psyche and the psyche of our organization. We don't handle it properly. And that, when I heard that, that kind of encompasses the conversation and to me why the Lonely Entrepreneur is such an asset, because at every level, you'll see your strengths and your weaknesses. And the more we have humility, the more we can see what those are. And search out the support. And I'm for one super grateful that the laundry entrepreneur exists. So that I, like there is, there's one place. And if it's not there, I mean, there's like a thousand learning modules. So I don't know how it could not be there. But now I know I can just email you and be like, hey, what do you think about this? Yeah, we have people that are in the platform answering those questions. And we also all the time adding, right? It's not stagnant. So as different things, you know, continue to evolve. I think also people have, people get preyed upon by, I'm not picking on any one group, lawyers, PR firms, marketing people. Like we've all had the experiences where somebody says, yep, pay me $8,000 a month and we'll put you on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. And and when we're in this mode of trying to grow and advance and we want help and we want magic pills, there's so many people that have gone through the experience of paid real money to people. So in a lot of ways, hopefully also you know, Whitney, we're also somewhat their protector of, so they can come to us and go, yeah, somebody just put this in front of me. What do you think? And we've just got people in there that are hopefully trying to help them in a genuine way. Oh, I, I mean, thank you. That word, like having somebody protect, but not judge. I think that yeah. that can be really difficult when you're in a, in a more intimate relationship with the person yeah. that you might get protection, but you also might get judgment. And that can be difficult. But if you go to a neutral person who's just, this is what they do all day long. Let me put it out in front of you because then they're going to look at it unemotionally. They're not attached to your outcome. They're simply looking at it and saying, you know what? I think you can get a better market rate for what they're saying they're going to do. We've seen a lot of this. And that perspective is invaluable in in my experience. And also Whitney, we take that that passion very, as you can probably take very, very seriously. So even though we are being antiseptic in some ways and staying away from the emotional part of it, we know what it's like to be them. You know what it's like to be them. And when you've sat in those shoes, whether they're doing the right thing, the wrong thing or whatever, you take that very seriously and say, listen, this is not the way to go about it. all we care about is the right result to you because you've sat there before and maybe made those mistakes and and hopefully, you know, had to learn and grow from it. Absolutely. Well, Michael, thank you so much for fucking with me today, for sharing so much, for sharing so much of yourself and for letting yourself be an inspiration, but also just, just real for letting yourself be real so that other entrepreneurs know that being real is not a downfall to entrepreneurship. In fact, it's the key to it. 
So thank you so much for being here. Well, it's my pleasure to be here. And obviously the, the voice you're sharing with people to really help them on their journey with emotional intelligence and the things that you're doing is an incredibly undervalued skill in the grand scheme of these things. Uh, I wish I had had somebody like you back in the early days when I came out of my M&A law job, I would have learned a lot. So thank you very much for having me. You've been listening to the Evoke EQ podcast, where we have emotionally intelligent conversations for evolving leaders. It is our mission to make the Midwest an emotionally intelligent place to work and live. Whether you're in the Midwest or beyond, we hope you have found value in listening to our conversations. You can participate by leaving us comments or writing a review. We look forward to feedback as feedback is how we learn, grow, and change. Thanks for listening and tune in next time for more curious, connected conversations.